it, it, it just fits in with what's being shared. I love it when God does that. And so I just think what Edwina shared in terms of responding is going to come after the message. And I just want to share this because I think it's a place where what God wants us to unpack, what we're going to be unpacking this morning fits exactly into what's been shared already this morning about us being a people who need to be praying, about us being a people who need to be surrendering to God and being shaped and molded almost that picture of um, clay in the potter's hand and being squeezed and pressed and shaped into his likeness. So that's why we're going to go ahead with the message. Um, I'm going to edit on the fly um, so that we can have some time to respond at the end of this, bearing in mind what God's already been saying to us. So I'm, 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 I'm fully aware that God's speaking to us already, um, and this is just going to, I think, just supplement what's already been done and what's already been shared. Um, if you've been with us for some time, you'll know we've been doing a series called The New Way to Live. It's been about a three-month or two-and-a-half-month so far journey through uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7. We've been looking at and unpacking the Sermon on the Mount. And really, essentially, the best and most extravagant and exquisite sermon that's ever been preached. And this morning, we come to a section where Jesus begins to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount. In a sense, the whole, the whole message, Jesus has been unpacking the nature of true righteousness versus the nature of ungodliness and hypocritical religious righteousness, which doesn't get you very far. And in chapter 7, verse 13 to 14, we see the culmination of this message, almost what Jesus has been building up to. He's been showing us what true righteousness is and what unrighteousness is. And we get to this point in chapter 7 where he goes, now you need to respond. And in a sense, there's a call to surrender everything we've held on to so that we can follow Jesus. Throughout the sermon, he's been illustrating to us that there's a kingdom way and then there's a, God, there's, a, there's a godless way and a worldly way. A kingdom way and a worldly way. And he invites us this morning to decide. And we can be believers in this place and have already made the decision to follow Jesus. But the road you'll see just now of following Jesus is a road of constant surrender and progressive surrender to Jesus, where we get made more like Him. And you may be in a place this morning where you don't know Jesus, and this is your moment to enter in through what Jesus calls the narrow gate onto the path of life. Jesus essentially says at the end of this message, as He begins to wrap up, you've got two choices. Either you trust yourself, your own religion, and your self-righteousness, or you trust me. Either you're good enough, or you're not to inherit the kingdom of God. Either you can be good enough or you recognize it in yourself. You can't be good enough as you, hold yourself, as you hold yourself up to the standard that God has set. That's the choice that he gives us this morning. I recognize that this message is actually in some ways really simple to preach, but in other ways really difficult. So I'm just going to ask God for the grace to be able to preach this, and then we'll read together. Lord, I just pray that you would come as you've come through these words already and speak clearly to us and convict us. And I just pray for the grace to be able to unpack this, Lord, the way that you desire it to be unpacked. So we just surrender the preaching of your word to you. Open hearts, open ears, open minds, and our eyes to see. In Jesus' name. See, here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. That's it. We're going to unpack that, those two verses under three headings this morning. One, the two gates. 
then the two roads or the two paths, and then the two destinations. Let's start with number one, the two gates. As I wrote that down, I thought it was quite funny because we're not actually going to be speaking about two gates. But Jesus mentions two gates, so I thought it would be good to say two gates. But we're really just going to be spending our time unpacking one, and here's why. I don't know if you've ever tried to use an analogy. You realize that if you push it too far, it eventually breaks down at some point. You can only use an analogy so far to highlight principles of the kingdom, and then it just starts to fall to pieces. And that's true of Jesus' analogy here when he uses the analogy of two gates. What Jesus is really trying to do is he's trying to impress on our hearts this idea that we need to make a decision. But to focus on two gates sort of implies that we're in neutral territory and we still have to decide whether we're going to enter in through the broad gates or enter in through the narrow gate. Whereas we actually really only have one decision to make, to stay on the broad road or to enter through the narrow gates. God's word is explicitly clear that we were born into iniquity that we're all destined for hell, that no one is righteous, not one, and that our default position is hell. And so in a sense, when you were born into this world, we entered through the broad gates. There's this truth that we're already on the broad road. And so to speak about two gates is a little bit unnecessary. The real question we need to be answering is how does one get off of the broad road and enter the narrow gate? How does one get off of the road to destruction and enter the pathway to life? So that's why we're going to focus on one gate in this point. So Jesus says this, enter through the narrow gate. It's really a simple statement. We can draw three conclusions from that. First one is this. To enter the narrow gate, you have to know that it exists. You have to know what it looks like. And you have to know specifically who it is. Because the narrow gate is not a what or an it, it's a who. That's the narrow gate. Jesus said of himself in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Also in Acts 4.11, it says, Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the one through which we enter. There is only one gate, and it looks like Jesus Christ. That's who we enter through. The broad road that we walk on is, however, marked with so many different signs and gates that say this way to heaven, this way to blessing, this way to riches, this way to fulfillment, this way to purpose, this way to eternity and to bliss, to nirvana, to wherever it is that you want to go. But ultimately, all those gates end up doing is taking one around and placing them back just on a different part of the broad road. It's a deception. Whereas there is a gate that exists that truly allows one to exit the broad road and enter into a totally different path. His name is Jesus. He's the true exit. There is no other way to life. Every other marking, every other road sign, every other path or gate ends one up in hell. The second conclusion we can make is this. Not only do we have to know the gate and understand the gate, know what it looks like, know that it's there and who the gate is, you have to enter in. There's this word, or this phrase called an orist imperative. It's this word that Jesus says you must enter in. in. In Greek, it's almost like a command to do something. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that when you see the gate, when you recognize who it is, and that you need to get off of this road, there's something you have to do. You don't just enter in by accident. 
There's a command to action. There's a command for us to do something and to enter in. It doesn't just happen by osmosis as you think about it and reflect on it. There needs to be movement. There's a dedicated, committed action that needs to happen from the individual to enter in to the narrow gate. Responding to the call of Jesus always requires the individual to repent, to believe, and to commit to surrendering to Christ and to being obedient to Him. It's not enough to just study the gate, which we so love to do. I think it's good, but it's not enough to just study the gate or to admire the structure of the gate and its intricacies. It's not enough to just admire the wisdom of God as seen in the gospel. It's not enough to just admire the accomplished work of Jesus on the cross and his defeat of death and sin and Satan. It's not enough to just admire the ethics of Jesus and the virtues of Jesus and to, in some areas of life, implement them. Jesus calls us to respond. There's a sense in which we need to go, I recognize this road that I'm on is deadly. This gate is the exit, and I'm choosing to go. But the problem that exists is that we don't like to respond. The world doesn't like to respond. It's uncomfortable for us to respond. And there's this place we want to sit on the fence. We might camp outside the gates. We might not move further down the road on the broad road and we sit and we wonder what it would be like. We admire it and we just don't respond. But Jesus warned us and God has warned us over and over again about this fence sitting in Scripture. Hell is going to be filled with fence sitters. And somehow the church doesn't like to say that because there's this taboo in our culture where offending people is bad. The gospel is offensive. And when Jesus said, I am the only way, he was excluding every and any other way. And that's offensive to our sinful natures. But Jesus says, you need to come in. There's no fence sitting. You can't admire my teaching. You can't admire my ethics. You can't admire my virtues. You, you can't even admire the Sermon on the Mount and not do anything about it and expect to inherit eternal life. There's an action you're called to. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says, I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out my mouth. That's what he says. When I was a young Christian, I used to think that cold was bad. In other words, like I wish you were just going to hell or that you're going to heaven, but because you, that's, you're in between. But what I realized is, is cold is really good. Jesus is saying, I wish you were like an ice-cold frappe on a hot day or you were like a really hot chocolate on a winter's evening. That's what he's saying. But because you're in between, I'm going to vomit you out my mouth. There's this, Jesus is, and, and the church that, that he was preaching to really got this. He was preaching to the church in Laodicea, and they understood what it meant to, meant to drink lukewarm water because they, they had a water problem in the city. And they would tap water in, they'd built this elaborate aqueduct, and they would get ice cold water from the mountains. And then they would also get, there was another city or another little town down in, in the valley where they would get hot water from. There were hot springs. And they would get hot water up from this place where the water would bubble out of the ground hot to Laodicea. And then they would, with the aqueduct, tap in the ice cold berg water down into the city. But the problem was by the time you got the hot water to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. By the time you got the ice cold water down to the city, it was lukewarm. And so they knew what it was like to have the potential of cold water and the potential of hot water and arrive lukewarm and tepid. And so Jesus says, you like that water. I wish you were either hot or cold. I wish, I wish you had chosen me, that you would live for me and not mix this idea that you can 
admire the narrow gate and not do anything about it. The third observation is this, and this is where this message just ties so nicely in with what people have been sharing this morning. Jesus says that the gate is narrow. He says it's narrow. It's not broad. This gate is narrow. And it means this, the idea of narrow, the word that he uses, narrow, it just gives this imagery of a turnstile, almost like one of those things that you can, and you have to go through one at a time. In other words, you can't enter in as a group. There's no ethnically based salvation. You can't enter in based on your relationship to somebody else. You can't enter in because of the heritage that you have. Your parents could be the most godly people ever. Your, your, your siblings, your spouse could be godly, but you don't enter into heaven based on their relationship with Jesus. Secondhand faith isn't faith. You're not going to get to uh, stand before Jesus one day and go, but God, I was best friends with this guy. And in that way, and in that sense, the road and the gate is narrow. To enter in, it's narrow. It's you and you alone before the Lord need to make a decision based on what you've heard him saying and what you believe about him. Also, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, There is one God, one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. In other words, there is no other mediator. There is no other gate. There is no other Savior, no other way. And in that sense, the gate is narrow. And Christians often get nailed for this. We get called narrow-minded. And my response to people who have called me narrow-minded seriously is this. You have no idea how narrow-minded I really am. Because it's true. If we've allowed for a spectrum of belief about this and leeway on either side, it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not biblical. Jesus says, I am the way. You've got to be so narrow-minded about that that we don't allow a cushioning on either side. We enter into the narrow way through Jesus and Jesus alone. Which leads us to the second point, the two paths. In the same way that Jesus contrasted or has contrasted the broad gate and the narrow gate, he contrasts two different ways or two different roads. He says, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it and narrow the path that leads to life, and not many find it. If we were using modern terminology, instead of saying the broad road, we would say the broad lifestyle, or the ungodly lifestyle, or the narrow lifestyle or the godly lifestyle. Jesus calls the broad road broad because it means there's lots of space there. You're not going to bump sides or shoulders with people. There's plenty open space. You can bring anything you want with you. There's no need for progressive surrender. There's no need to shed our ideas of what we think is right versus what God has said is right. You don't have to leave any of your baggage behind. You can bring your sinful nature. You can bring your self-righteousness and your pride. You can bring your flaws and all your sin. You can have your cake and you can eat it on the broad road. And in that sense, it is broad. It is wide. There's so much space for immorality and godlessness. And to carry on with the road analogy, there's no speed bumps. 
there's no lanes, there are no gutters, no pavements, no boundaries, no speed limit signs. There's no need for what Jesus started off with in the beginning at Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, the Beatitudes. There's no restrictions from God's Word. There's no limits. You can just go. And in that sense, it is broad. That's why Jesus is saying this is broad. And it's easy because you make it up as you go. You make it up as you go on the broad road. You just have at it. You can indulge your sinful nature. You can indulge the flesh. And that's why so many people find it and stay on it. Because it's comfortable. Proverbs 16 verse 25 says this, There is a way which seems right to man, but in the end it leads to destruction. But then Jesus contrasts that with the narrow way. And he says you need to enter through the narrow gates into the narrow way. It's a lifestyle that is lived according to God's standards and God's desires. And for us as Christians, it is a constant journey of surrender. It is a journey where we give up our incorrect ideas of the kingdom collectively and individually. And we embrace God's plan for us as individuals and collectively. The word that Jesus uses, narrow, is, it actually refers to a grape press. That's the word that he uses. It's like a great press, this road that we walk with him. It literally means the pressed way. It, it, it gives this idea or carries this idea or this meaning of a very confined, very narrow, very restricted way. A good image would be of a very narrow, very narrow path through a, a valley where there are two cliff walls on either side of you, and all that you can do is walk through like this and sometimes walk straight, but your shoulders are touching on either side. You're hemmed in on both sides. And because of that, it's exactly the opposite of the Broadway. Because as Alan was sharing just now, there's no space for the stuff that you would have carried on the broad road, on the narrow road. You've got to take it off. I don't know if you've ever been hiking... Excuse me, and you get to a spot where you may have a backpack on, and all of a sudden you just know you're not going to get through. And there's a sense in which you know the only way to get through is to take the backpack off, maybe to remove the jacket because you're going to pop some buttons or your zip, and you regret eating that extra donut. And you've really got to squeeze through a gap, and then someone can pass your bag through. That's the only way you're going to get through. That's what Jesus is getting at you with the narrow way. It's narrow because as you walk, it strips you down. There's a sense in which you come open-handed and empty before the Lord, and you've left everything behind. And as you walk, you progressively, you progressively are shaped into the character and the likeness of Jesus. That's why the road is narrow. You can't take your old master with you. There's no place for your self-proclaimed righteousness and pride. You have to give up your freedom you can't do as you please. You live to please the Lord. You don't make the rules. You live to obey the rules that the king has already given. People mistakenly believe that you can enter into the narrow gates and then somehow you can keep doing what you want to be doing. And God, because you've admired the gates, God has to now somehow bless you. That he's at your beck and call and command. The narrow way is filled with people who've truly understood the call of Jesus and have stepped through the gate, not just admired it, 
Our sinful natures really hate the confines of the narrow way. They hate the way that it tightens and restricts because we want to hold on to the stuff that God says is deadly. And I've heard this often being shared in, in like a genuine way to try and win people for Jesus. Come to Jesus, everything will be great. Everything is going to, life's going to be fine. I think anyone who said that living for Jesus was easy has never really understood what it means to live for Jesus. Anyone who believes that living the separated, godly life, the narrow road life for Jesus, willing to honor Him and wanting to do everything to please Him, anyone who's lived that life and says that it is as fun as the broad road and that it's not difficult doesn't understand what walking on the narrow road really is about. The Lord asks you for everything. You could lose your family. You subject yourself to persecution and God's discipline. And we don't like to talk about this as Christians. We don't like to talk about this idea of discipline. Somehow God doesn't discipline us, but he does. The book of Hebrews promises us this. He says this, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Christianity in its truthfulness is not a soft option for the weak-hearted and the faint need. When you come to know Jesus and you walk that narrow path, you declare war on the forces of hell and on the fleshly nature. And you rely on the Spirit of God for power to live according to His way. However, and we're going to bring it to close this morning with this. When you walk the narrow road, although it may be difficult here, because let's be honest, if you've walked with Jesus for some time, you'll know that the Christian life is not a beautiful meadow that one meanders through. We are aliens in this world. <clears throat> this world is hostile to us. But the, <clears throat> excuse me, but the end destination makes it worth it. That's what Jesus gets at when he ends off here. And he goes, the two destinations end in different places. The broad road ends in a place called destruction. And the narrow road ends in a place called heaven and eternal life. And the church also doesn't like to speak about hell because somehow that offends people. The most offensive thing to God is for us to receive what we've called the biggest blessing of our lives and then to not take that into a world that so desperately needs to hear it and think that they're on there and they can, they, they can do it. God will make a plan. We, we've been called to preach this message that if you're on the broad road, you're going to suffer eternal death. But the narrow road is eternal life. Jesus says the narrow road also is, his, his burden is light and his yoke is easy. He says that knowing that it's going to be difficult to walk this road, but the end result, compared to what you're going to experience on the broad road, the end result is beautiful on the narrow road, no matter what you've had to walk through in this world. Typically, we think of something being destroyed as being totally annihilated as though it doesn't exist. But that's not what God's Word says is going to happen 
in hell. Just briefly, and we're not going to unpack all of these, this is what hell is going to be like. This is where the broad road leads. We need to carry a burden for people on the broad road as his church. We need to have God break our hearts for those who are lost. And we need to make sure that we are being refined as Christians on the narrow road. Because we've escaped this by the grace of God. Here's what it says. Hell is going to be an unquenchable fire. An unquenchable fire. Memory and remorse. There'll be plenty of memory and remorse. Not good memory. Bad memory. Of how you've rejected Jesus. Of how you had opportunity upon opportunity to step off the road. And there's going to be remorse. Unsatisfied thirst. Frustration and anger. Unspeakable pain and misery. Eternal separation and undiluted wrath. God's word says that he's storing up his wrath for the end days where he's going to pour it out on the enemies of God. It says that it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And this is going to go on for eternity. Somehow our minds don't get that. So our mind battles to get the concept of eternity. There's going to be no salvation from hell. Jesus is not going to, at some point in eternity, stop the suffering and say, it's over. You've done what you needed to do. Come now and inherit eternal life. It is going to go on and on and on and on and never end. Hell is real. Hell is real. But then there's the other side. Then there's the destination of the narrow road. And Jesus promises that he will say to those who have persevered on the narrow road, who have spent time in their closets praying to be shaped more like Jesus, who have by faith given their lives to him and have persevered in obedience to the Lord, who've been progressively shaped and have surrendered more and more. He says this, he's going to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he's going to say, come and receive your inheritance. And this is what your inheritance is going to be. No tears, no pain, no sorrow, no death for eternity. No sin. No night. This blows my mind. The light of heaven is going to be the radiance of God. The glory of God is going to illuminate the new Jerusalem. No curse. We're going to be eternally with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We're going to be eternally living in a glorious city. There will be glories, as 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, beyond the description and beyond our ability to comprehend right now. That's the destination of the narrow road. And the question is this. How are you walking that narrow road as a Christian? Are you holding on to your baggage, or is it about time God says to you, let go now and surrender? Are you even on the narrow road, or are you on the broad road? If you're on the broad road this morning, Jesus has said to you very clearly, it's time to get off. It's time to surrender and to lay it at my feet. It's time to press in to being more like Jesus and to laying down your pride into inheriting the end destination of heaven. That's what Jesus says to us this morning. I'm going to end there and just, I think, I don't know if the team can come up, that would be great. I think we need to honor God's call for us to respond physically to him this morning. I think there's a place where you're going to experience salvation and healing and wholeness when your desire for that overcomes your fear of shame and embarrassment. I just want to say that again. When you want to be saved and you want to be healed more than you want to hold on to your baggage and more than you fear shame and embarrassment, 
God will move. And nothing anybody thinks or says is going to hinder you coming if that's your desire. And so as the team begins to play, I'm going to ask that if the people who want prayer, who want to respond like Adwina was sharing, to just come and lay stuff down at the foot of the cross. And we speak like that. It's really Christianese. What that means is this. Come and speak to God about what's on your heart and tell Him to take it and He will do that. Come and repent before the Lord of the stuff you've carried and say sorry to Him and ask Him to put in you through the spirit of fear of God again and a desire for things of the kingdom. And just say, God, you take this stuff that's baggage for me. It doesn't fit on the narrow road. Amen? And we'll happily pray for you. If you're not wanting to respond that way and you want to make your way out and grab some coffee, please do that. If you could do that quietly and sensitively, that would be great. Otherwise, let's remain in the presence of the Lord. Let's minister to one another and let's respond to God. Amen. Father, I just want to thank you that your word is alive and active, that it shapes us, it convicts us, and it brings us to a place, Lord, where we need to surrender constantly to you. And I I pray, Jesus, that we would walk this narrow road with faith and with conviction that it is better for us in the long run than the broad road and our sinful ways would have us believe. And Lord, I pray if there are people in this place who are on the edge about choosing you, Holy Spirit, bring conviction and may there be salvation in this place this morning. And may we be a church who are used by you as your hands and feet in the communities that we are effectively involved in to lead people to the gates, that they would see Jesus and be saved. Amen.
Welcome to stay and continue to pray. There's no rush here at all, just as God continues to play. If you want to sit and pray, find somebody to pray with. If you want to come to the front to have someone pray with you. We believe in God. We believe in His presence. We believe in His power. We believe in the victory of the cross. And we believe in the truth of His word. Respond. Uh, you, of course, are also very welcome to move. And enjoy some coffee and fellowship. But please, may we ask you to be as quiet as, as possible as you leave. Thanks so much. God bless.